Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Last week, we continued our study in 1 Peter chapter 5 with Pastor Chris as we looked at the final marching orders for the church from the Apostle Peter. This week, we finished the book of 1 Peter with Pastor Brian as we look at the Apostle Peter's final words in verses 12 through 14. Now, with all that said and done, let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Brian. How you guys all doing? Let's see. We're we're uh, getting close to the end here. Does anyone know where we are in First Peter? Five, twelve through fourteen. Yep, we're at the very close of the letter. I think Chris gave me this one because he was like, "I don't want to preach on that." Pretty accurate. Um, so you guys, if you read ahead, you might read that and think, "How is someone going to make an entire sermon off the closing of a letter?" And don't worry, I found a way. Um, but what what I want to point out to you guys with this is kind of. The, the point of Peter's letter. Um, so Peter kind of bookends this letter with two common things. One, he talks about the grace of God, and he talks about obedience to God. And so what I want to show you today is that what God has planned for us, what God has prepared for us in this life, is to be obedient. And the grace of God is that we can be obedient to God. And so Peter is pointing this out to us throughout his letter. He opens it with what God has done for us, and he spends the entirety of his letter showing us how we can be obedient to God in many, many different ways. And so again, as he gets to the close of this letter, he's going to bring up the grace of God again, speaking of our obedience. And so what we can learn most from this letter is that what God has planned for us in this life is for us to be obedient children of his. God calls for us to be obedient, but not only that, he gives us the way to be obedient. He provides for us the ability to be obedient. You see, the issue with Israel is that they did not have the Holy Spirit. God called them to obedience, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. And because they did not have the Holy Spirit, they faltered over and over again. And so what God has accomplished for us is salvation, but it is all of our salvation, which includes our obedience. And so what I want to show you today, what Peter has shown to us, is that God has always called for us to be obedient, that God gives us the way to be obedient, and now because of that, we are to live in obedience to God. And so God's grace to us is this ability to be obedient. Let's go ahead and read through the verses real quick. First Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. So normally what I do is I'll read through the verses, and then we'll kind of go through one by one. Uh, this is actually the only time I'm going to read through this, and we're actually going to focus mainly on one part out of verse 12. Um, and it's the part where he says, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. It is incredibly important to us that we understand what it is that the grace of God is. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we... Uh, we can hear the words like grace, we can hear words like salvation, and we kind of assume their meaning. And a lot of times it kind of makes us reduce in our minds what actually is happening with God's grace and with the salvation God grants to us. And so we need to fully understand these concepts. But before we get into it, I want to briefly remind you everything that Peter has talked about in this letter. And so in the opening of Peter's letter, he talks to us about 
he brings up the Trinity. He talks about God the Father calling us. He talks about the blood of Jesus Christ redeeming us. And he talks about the Holy Spirit um, empowering us. And then he goes into that this inheritance that we have been promised was given to us by God, that we've been adopted as, as family by God. We are his children now. And that this message has been delivered to us by the angels, by the prophets, and by the apostles. And then he goes into talking about suffering well and living in obedience. He talks that even amidst, amongst our suffering that we can live in obedience to God and that God is actually blessing us when we suffer. And he showed us Jesus Christ as the example of this. Jesus Christ suffered, and through his suffering, he was always obedient to God. And so you and I as Christians are also called, even when we are suffering, to be obedient to God. And so this is a common theme with Peter's letter. He's talking about obedience. He's talking about submission. He then goes on about talking to submission to all the realms of authority that God has given to us. That in each one of these realms, we are to submit ourselves because God has ordained those realms of authority. Now, we do not have the power to build up ourselves and be our own masters. We are masters of Christ, and so we do as he has commanded us to do with those realms of authority. He goes on, he talks about um, being godly in the church with church leaders leading the way. And he talks about resisting the devil and clinging on to what God has given to us so that we can remain obedient. And so notice Peter over and over again says this word, obedience. He's calling us to obedience over and over. And I think a lot of times what Christians hear this, they, they hear something that's legalistic. They hear this and they think, well, they're, they're just telling me to be by the law, but the law's been done away with, right? The law's been fulfilled by Christ. We don't need the law anymore. But that's not true. Peter isn't telling us to be legalistic. Legalism is that we are saved by our works. We are saved by being obedient to the law. But obedience to Christ is preaching that because Christ has redeemed us, we are called to be obedient in our salvation. And so the order is reversed. A salvation leads to obedience, not obedience leads to salvation. And so that's what Peter's talking about here. Because of what Christ has done for us, we can now be obedient to Christ in all that we do. And we have the ability given to us by Christ to do this. Before I get into that, I briefly want to go over uh, some of the people that P Peter mentions here, uh, just in case you guys had any thoughts or questions about them. So he mentions three people here. He mentions Sylvanus, um, which is the person who delivered the letter for Peter. Uh, we really don't know a whole lot about Sylvanus other than Peter trusted him to deliver this letter and expand on the thoughts of it. He tells us here that he wrote briefly and gave the letter to Sylvanus to go to these churches and expand on what Peter said. So we know that Sylvanus is someone that Peter trusted to uh, give this letter and preach on this topic. He also mentions she who was in Babylon, and that's not like everyone's going, oh, Sue, right? Sue over in Babylon. Um, it's not a specific person. He's referring to a church. And so a lot of times in the Bible, they'll reference she being a church, so they reference churches as, as a female character. And so she who is in Babylon is the church of Rome. Um, and so you might be wondering, well, why is he saying Babylon? Uh, what we see a lot in, in Scripture is that they reference Babylon as the nation that is against Israel. And so it's kind of become this infamous name, Babylon. And so even in Revelation, we see that Revelation refers to Rome as Babylon. And so this is a common theme that you'll see that the Israelites will refer to Rome, calling Rome Babylon, because of how much Rome hates Christianity and how much Rome hates the Jews. And so that's just a common name that you'll see there. He also mentions Mark, and this is John Mark. If you guys remember your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John Mark is one who wrote the book of Mark, which is Peter's account of the Gospels. And so Mark is a common companion of Peter, going around with him often, so it's no surprise that while Peter's writing this letter, Mark is there with him. And so as he gives his closing statements, as he's 
giving these greetings from these people. Again, he's mentioning the grace of God. He's exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God and causes us to stand firm in it. And so what we're going to cover now, what is the grace of God? See, in order for us to be able to understand our obedience in Christ, we need to understand what the full grace of God is on our lives. And what the grace of God is, is that it is our faith and all the effects and fruits of our faith. You see, I think a lot of people, when they think about the grace of God, they, they, they think of it as a gift from God, and they only think about justification. God gave me justification, and that's it. Now I can just sit around and wait for my glorification. And that's kind of what we've reduced Scripture to, but that's not what we see in Scripture. It is the effects and fruits of our faith as well. And so when you're doing good works, when you're being obedient to God, that is also because of the grace of God. God has given you that ability. God has given you the grace to be obedient to him. And so Peter opens his letter in verse chapter 1, verse 2. He says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, there it is, the Spirit and the Father there. The Father calls us. The Spirit sanctifies us. To do what? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So when we are saved by Christ, when we are covered, when our sins are covered by the blood of Christ, it is so that we can obey God. There is more to our salvation than just a ticket to heaven. God is calling for our obedience. And he says, may the grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. The fullest measure of grace and peace is our ability to be obedient. And so over and over again, God calls for us to be obedient. And again, we, we oftentimes think of salvation as just justification. And so I want briefly want to define all of what salvation is. Salvation can be broken up into three parts, the first part being that of justification. And what this is is that you are now just before God. And so this is something past tense for Christians. In the past, God, uh, Christ died on the cross for you, dying for your sins, so that way the penalty of sin and death would no longer be on your head. It has been covered for you, and you, you do not add anything to justification. It is all of God, and it is past tense to the Christian. Then there is sanctification. That is here and now. That is the work of the Holy Spirit within you, sanctifying you. And what that means is you're becoming more and more like Christ. And what was Christ? He was obedient to God the Father in every way, not turning to the left or the right. And so the purpose of God's grace and sanctification is to make you perfect just as Christ was perfect. We read that in verse, I believe, 11 of chapter 5, that God is perfecting us. He is strengthening us. He's doing this that way we can be more and more like Christ, more and more obedient to him. And I, again, I feel like this is the, the aspect of salvation that most Christians kind of ignore. Because a lot of us then go to justification, which is future to Christians. We have not yet been glorified. God promises for in the future that we will have a glorified body, that we will no longer feel the pain of sin and death. And a lot of Christians go from justification, I've been cleansed by Jesus Christ, and all they do is have their eyes on glorification and they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for the day. They say, well, it doesn't matter what I do in this life because I've already been saved. I'm just waiting for Christ to come. And so we as Christians kind of build these bunkers that we sit in, separating ourselves from the world, no longer preaching the gospel, no longer going out and doing what God has called us to do, living our lives as we please because we ignore sanctification. But this is something that God has always required of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10 says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he, ha- he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And a lot of people stop there. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. And so what God has prepared us for is for those good works. And so what I want to show you with the Old Testament is that God has always planned this. God has always purposed for people to be obedient to him. It is not something new. It is not something that I have come up with or other Christians have come up with, but God has always required obedience of his people. And we can go all the way back to Genesis to see this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 16 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you surely die. So what is God saying here? He is giving a command to Adam and Eve. Cultivate the land, do not eat from this tree. How does sin and death enter into the world? By the disobedience of Adam and Eve. You see, even before sin and death entered in the world, God required obedience from his creation. And sin and death is when we are disobedient to God. So why as Christians would we desire to do things that are disobedient to God? We shouldn't. We should only desire that which God has commanded. And this vein goes all throughout the history of the Old Testament. Every single generation, God has required the obedience of. So sin and death entered in through, into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. We can then jump to Abraham, who we all know is saved by faith. But what does James remind us of? It reminds us of, of Abraham's works. James chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And so, yes, Abraham was saved by faith, just as we are all saved by faith. But then Abraham did not stop there. He went on to be obedient to God. Now, he wasn't perfectly obedient. We can read the Old Testament and see that Abraham faltered in many ways. But Abraham, Abraham's faith was proven by his obedience. Imagine bringing your only child as a, someone who is 100 plus years old and going to offer them up on an altar. The likelihood of you having another child is zero to none. And here goes Abraham willing to go up on the altar to act, sacrifice Isaac because God has commanded it of him. He was obedient to God, and God never intended for him to kill Isaac, but he meant this to be a foreshadowing of what was to come through Christ Jesus. And so Abraham was willing to live in obedience to God because God required it of him. We can then go to Moses, who was given the law. And what the law shows us is, once again, God requires the obedience of his people. And so Abraham was given the law, and it had two purposes with the law. One, it was to show God's standard of righteousness, and the other is to show man's inability to uphold that standard. No one was ever meant to be saved by the law, but the law was meant to reveal our sin. And so Moses is commanded to tell the people the law and call the people into obedience to it. Exodus 19, verse 3 through 6. 
Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you, then you shall be my own, peop- my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So God is clear in his, messing, in his messaging to Moses. Israel is meant to be obedient to God. It is meant to show that they are the people of God. Their obedience is to make them different. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart. And our obedience to God's law is what sets us apart from the world. Because the world does not desire obedience to God. You outside of Christ do not desire obedience to God. But in Christ, we are meant to be obedient to what God has commanded. God is very clear in his messaging to Moses. Obedience to God's law brings blessing, and disobedience to God's law brings destruction. Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 through 17 says this. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land and its season, the early and the late rain, and you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Beware that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. I think what we need to realize as Christians is that this promise of blessings and cursings has not ended. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he has said in the Old Testament still stands in the New Testament. And I think the reason we do this is a lot of times we, we, we combine the ideas of destruction and condemnation. You see, what Christ has given to us is freedom from condemnation. There's no, now no longer an eternal punishment for our sin. It has been covered by Christ but there's still earthly consequence to our sins. When we are disobedient to God, God tears us down. The Bible tells us that on that last day, all of our works are going to stand before God, and it's going to be purged by fire. God is going to burn away the bad and keep what is good, because God still has a desire for our obedience. And so just as God dealt with Israel this way, he will deal with us this way. And we have the assurance of our salvation, we have the assurance of no eternal condemnation, but we still must be wary of our sinfulness while we are here on the earth. We can see that God kept this promise to Israel throughout its history, starting even with Moses and his generation. You see, Moses and his generation were not allowed to enter into the promised land because they did not have faith in God. They did not believe him. They saw his miracles, yet they were not willing to be obedient to him. And so that generation passed away, and God cursed them. We see then that uh, Israel enters into the land that was promised by God, and for a while they had no king above them. But still, Israel kept going away from God over and over again, and so God would send judges to bring people back into relationship with God, and they would briefly come back to God, and it was kind of back and forth, back and forth, where they were obedient to God and disobedient, obedient to God and disobedient. And every time they became disobedient, God would send armies to defeat them, and God would have to send a new judge 
to conquer their enemies and bring them back to obedience. And so then Israel cries out for a king. And God even tells them, this king will be a curse to you. They're going to tax you. They're going to enlist your, your sons into the armies. This king is not going to be for you. They're going to be for themselves. And Israel still cries out, we want a king besides God. And so this is a curse to Israel. Now we see that God still keeps his promises. So the kings that were right in the eyes of God were blessed, and the kings that were evil in the sight of God were cursed. And so we can even see this as with King Asa, who at one point is brought the law of God, and he realizes that his people are not living in obedience to God. And so what he does is he calls the nation into repentance, and what God does is he blesses the reign and rule of Asa. But once Asa leaves, his, his heir goes back to the wicked ways, and once again they are cursed. And so God keeps his promise throughout the kings of Israel, all the way to the point where they are completely disobedient, and God destroys them. You guys would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 4. And we're going to see what God does because of the disobedience of Israel. Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 4, says this. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The, the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your field strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughters of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts has left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom, we would be like Gomorrah. So Israel, in their disobedience, is being punished by God. Once again, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not like our disobedience. He acts out in wrath against disobedience to him. He punishes evildoers. And so Israel, the only reason they continued on was because God had a promise through their generations. God promised them a remnant or else he would have completely destroyed them like Sodom and Gomorrah. They were that wicked. We read a couple weeks ago, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8 through 17. And in this section, we see how God hates people who bring to him vain worship. And so what that would look like for us today is if we read our Bible daily, we go to church all the time, we pray constantly, and we're saying, God, look at how holy I am. But then we live in complete disobedience to everything else God has commanded us. And what God says is he hates that. He hates when people bring to him vain worship. And so you and I as Christians are not meant to bring God vain worship. We're not, not meant to look externally holy while we'll internally we're corrupt and evil. So we are called to be obedient to God in everything. Unless we are obedient to God in all of his law, we are not being obedient to God. Isaiah continues in verse 18. He says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be washed they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat of the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, 
you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Once again, the same holds true for us. God has washed us. God has cleansed us. We have the eternal promise of salvation through Christ Jesus. But if we think that we can live on this earth in disobedience to him, God will cut us off with the sword. We still will go to heaven, but like, like the scripture tells us, all that evilness is going to be burned away from us. God does not want us to live as if his law does not stand. And that's what we read in the book of Romans. He says God fulfilled the law, but that does not do away with the law. We do not sin more because grace abounds. Grace abounds to cover our sin, but we are still called into obedience. The grace of God is that we can now be the obedient people of God. You see, it is a high call for us to live in obedience to all of God's law. We cannot do it. Israel showed that to us. We cannot live in perfect obedience to God's law. And so God had to do something to enable that. God had to give us the ability to do what he has called us to do. This is why in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. And so how is it that you and I can live in obedience to God's law? Well, it's by the grace that God has given to us. God is the one who gives us the ability to be obedient. And so not only does he call us to obedience, but he gives us the ability. He enables our obedience. And so God's grace is that we can be obedient. So I want to, I think it's important for us to keep in mind exactly what God has done for us in this topic. Um, once again, I think when you, when you talk about God's obedience, it's kind of a default in a lot of people's minds to go towards legalism, and that's not what I'm speaking of here. I'm not speaking about us becoming righteous through our obedience. I'm speaking of us because of the righteousness of Christ that we can be obedient. And so once again, we have to look at the problem and the solution that God has given. The problem is that God has required our obedience to him, and we are covered with sin. That sin makes it so we are not able to be obedient. Even those people who saw the miracles of God turned from obedience to him. What hope do we have to do this? You see, we cannot do it on our own, and so we need something to take our place. You see, the, the punishment of sin is death. God requires you to die. And so God made a way for you to die, and that is through Christ Jesus. Did you know that you died with Christ? Romans eight, or sorry, Romans six, eight through nine. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. And so you were meant to die, and God gave you a way to die with Christ. But it doesn't end there. You were also buried with Christ. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so you died with Christ, and you were buried with Christ in baptism. And once again, it doesn't end there. We were raised up with him. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And it keeps going there. We also ascended with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7 says, And raised up with him and seated us 
with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so God required the punishment of sin and death. And what it means for God's righteousness to be imputed onto you means that when Christ died, when, when Christ was buried, when Christ rose and when Christ ascended, you did it along with him. The righteousness of Christ was imputed onto you. And once again, a lot of times we only think of the punishment of wrath, of sin and death. But God requires more than the punishment of sin and death. For those who are righteous, he requires righteousness. He requires obedience. And so not only did Christ give to us the covering of sin and death, but Christ gave to us his obedience. When Christ lived in obedience to God the Father, he now imputes that obedience on to you. He now imputes his obedience onto you so that way you can live in accordance to the scriptures. What's amazing about this is God's sacrifice on the cross for us, God's imputation of his perfection allows you to be imperfect. God's perfection allows you to be imperfect. Romans 8, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, what it means for there to no longer be any condemnation means that we can approach the throne of God in boldness. So even though we are still imperfect, when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Christ. So now you and I no longer have to go up to the throne of God trembling in fear, thinking that God is going to condemn us for our sins. That was us outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, we would approach God with fear and trembling because God is going to smite us for our sinfulness. But because of what Christ did for us, we now have no condemnation. We are washed white as snow. And so when we approach God, he no longer sees the sin on us, but he sees the blemish that he desires to clean. You see, we are meant to approach the throne of God and say, God, here is my sin. Please cleanse me of it. And God wants to cleanse you of it because God wants you to be obedient to him. It is your sin that causes your disobedience, and God wants to cleanse that sin from you so you can be obedient. And so Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. That is God's desire for you as a Christian. That is what God is doing as he sanctifies you. He is giving you an abundance of grace and mercy. Not just so that you can go to heaven one day, but that so you can be obedient to him here on this earth. God has given you the ability to be imperfect. And once again, this isn't talking about sinning because there is grace. This isn't talking about we ignore the law because Christ fulfilled it. This is because Christ fulfilled the law. We are now enabled and empowered by Christ to fulfill the law as well. Not towards our salvation, but towards our obedience to God. And so God calls for us to be obedient, and he gives us the way to be obedient. He doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us on the sidelines hoping and praying that something might happen. He enables us to be obedient. So why should we not be obedient? That's what Peter's whole letter has been about. 
he bookends it with the grace of God, what God has done for us. And then all in the middle, he's talking about our obedience. So we must look at Peter's letter and see he's not talking about legalism, but he's talking about what God has always called us into, what God has always desired for us throughout all of human history. God has always required us to be obedient to him. Because when we are obedient to God, what happens is God's grace goes out into this world. God's name is expanded and God's grace is expanded. When God looks at a nation, remember Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's just one righteous, will you save it? God blesses people for the obedience of his people. So even if we live in a nation that is not godly, we can bring a blessing to that nation by preaching the word of God. We can bring God's grace on a nation as he allows it continue when we proclaim God's name with boldness. But when we stop proclaiming God's name with boldness, God will cut off that nation. God will cut off that people. When people turn away from God, when God's people are no longer willing to stand up in obedience to him, God says, I have no use of that people anymore. I'm going to call my people home. I'm going to spread the gospel elsewhere to a people that will be obedient. We must be obedient to God in all that he has commanded us. By doing this, we spread God's grace to all the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us this in verse 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So to do what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We receive God's mercy and grace not to just keep it within ourselves. We receive God's mercy and grace to extend that out to a dying people. We receive it to go out and preach the gospel. The Great Commission is to preach the gospel and teach obedience to his word. We cannot leave that last part out. God requires our obedience, and when we are obedient, as Peter has shown us throughout his letter, the grace of God abounds all the more in our obedience. In 1 Peter chapter 5, sorry, I skipped something here. Um, one of the things that Peter tells us in this letter is, he, again, he calls us to be submissive to all the realms of authority that God has given. And so when we do this, again, we are spreading God's grace to people. Because people are going to look at us and they're going to recognize we're different. When we're obedient to the government, because God has, God has called us to be obedient, people are going to recognize that we're different. When we're obedient to our employers, because God has called us to be obedient, people are going to recognize that we are different. When we're obedient to the eldership of a church, and we're obedient within the realm of the family, people are going to notice that. Recently, there was a study, if you've been keeping up with uh, American politics, recently there was a study about um, uh, uh, faithful homes. And so they're trying to determine, is there... Uh, where are people happiest? Where are the husband and wife more equal in the relationship? Is it in a strongly faithful home? Or is it in a more atheistic, less faithful home? And they found that amongst faithful homes, even amongst people who are complementarian, who believe the man is the head of the household, for whatever reason that this, these people could not figure out, those homes have the most equality between the man and the wife. There's the most loving relationship, and the one feels more secure in that relationship than the woman who is not in a faithful home. 
So what man has finally figured out, what God has been telling us for thousands of years, is that when we live the way God tells us to, grace is there. We have people in the streets freaking out over someone who is a uh, Catholic being brought onto the Supreme Court because of their Catholic views, because they're a complementarian. And we find that complementarian is actually what enables the flourishing of men and women the most. This is because the grace of God, the reason he commands us to do these things is because the grace of God is in them. God is blessing these things. God knows what is best for us because he's the one who created us, and he calls us to live as he has commanded. And so when we do what God has called us, grace expands in this earth. God also calls the, the elders of a church to lead well. First Peter chapter 5, he tells us this in verse 2 through 3. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but, excuse me, but proving to be examples to the flock. A couple weeks ago, I told, talked to you about how strong eldership builds strong churches. This is what we need. We need strong eldership and strong churches, an eldership that is willing to proclaim obedience to Christ. Because as we've seen throughout the letter of Peter, the obedience to Christ is what brings out what emboldens the grace of God in this world. When people see strong churches leading strong people to a strong nation in Christ Jesus, it is incredibly evident what the grace of God does in the life of the believer. When we hide it, it is no wonder people turn away from God. When we aren't living in obedience to God, it is no wonder people do not want to follow after us because what we aren't any different than they are. We struggle in the same ways they do. We, we question in the same ways they do. Oftentimes Christians say they have hope, but don't display it. Oftentimes Christians, again, look only to heaven and they ignore earth. And so what hope do people have? People are looking for hope in this world and they see Christians that are ignoring this world. Bible said, or the, the Bible has told us that God's kingdom is not of this world, but it is in it. Peter is calling us to live obediently to God because it is what God has required of us. And so he bookends this letter saying this. He bookends this letter with the grace of God calling us to obedience to God. And once again, God's grace is what enables us to be obedient to his word. And even more so, Peter has given this letter to a people who are suffering under the Roman Empire. But we read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. So as Christians, we cannot turn away from the suffering that God brings to us. What God is doing in that suffering is he's bringing out our obedience. Chris mentioned this a few sermons ago, that when we're busy suffering, we're not busy sinning. God is blessing you in the suffering. God is building your character. God is drawing you to obedience. That's what sanctification is. It's the burning away of the old things, which hurts, to bring about the new. It's the making you more and more like Christ. We cannot ignore sanctification as part of salvation. We cannot ignore obedience to Christ, calling it legalism. God has promised to us all of salvation, and God's grace is all of salvation, justification which is in the past, glorification which is in the future, and sanctification which is here and now, the part that you get to play a part in, the part where you get to live in obedience to Christ because of Christ. And so I once again want to differentiate between legalism and obedience. 
Legalism is works righteousness saying that because I am obedient, I will be saved. That is not the case. Rather, it is because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, because Christ has saved us, I am now able to live in obedience. And so let us be a people that proclaim God's name, see all of God's grace, and live in complete obedience to him. God has enabled us to be imperfect, but he has not called us to stay imperfect. Verse 11 tells us he is drawing us to perfection. Closer and closer every day. We may not ever reach perfection, but God is drawing us closer and closer and closer to that perfection, which is Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us. God, we pray that as we read your word, as we see your law, God, we would not abandon it. God, you have called us to obedience to you, and we need to understand all that you have commanded. God, we need to understand that you, what you call true religion is not offering up prayers. It's not reading our Bibles. Those things are good and right. But God, what you have called us to in true religion is taking care of those who are in need, taking care of the widow and the orphan. God, you have called us to true religion, which is loving one another. It's displaying the very grace that you displayed to us. It is forgiving others because you have forgiven us, God. It is crying out in the wilderness that you are the way, God. We cannot hide that truth. The world needs that truth. When we look at the world around us, God, and we see it crumbling, the only reason it crumbles, God, is because this world does not know you. God, we pray that we as a church would be obedient to your word, that we would call the world into obedience to you, God, that we would call them to all of your salvation, that they would be washed by your blood, drawn into obedience to you by the Spirit, and kept eternally in you. God, you have promised many great things, and we cannot abandon a single one of them. God, we cannot imagine that you have changed from Old Testament to New. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so, God, I pray that we would fully understand, we would fully comprehend what it means to be obedient to you. That, God, our desire is to serve you as master. Many people hear the word slave, and in today's culture, it just pushes them away. But, God, you have reference to us as a slave to Christ. And what does a slave do? They obey their master. And so, God, we pray that we would be obedient bondservants of yours, We would pray that we would truly see ourselves as your servants. Not going about and doing our own thing, but seeing just as Christ obeyed up unto the point of death, always being obedient to the Father. God, that we in his likeness would be obedient to you in all things. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And so God, we pray that you would strengthen us and embolden us and perfect us in your name. Amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church of Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. 
Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.